You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to www.3cr.org.au. Good afternoon. Welcome to Uprise Radio on 3CR, 855 AM. That's probably what you're tuned into, or maybe you're listening to a podcast. I don't know. My name is Jackson, and I'm joined today, as always, well, most of the time, by James. How are you, James? I'm good, Jackson. Um, Yeah, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Yes, to our listeners. We are very appreciative that you listen to us. Uh, And I suppose it's a week of some small thanks as we had a few restrictions unwound. You know, we could now meet uh, in a park. James, you and I, we could sit and enjoy a picnic together, perhaps even with uh, other people from our households, but not a third household, only two households at a time for, I don't know, I think as long as we like. We couldn't visit one another's houses, though. That would be a bridge too far. and We couldn't gather in a group larger than five so uh we are still somewhat limited yeah i think um over the last little while when some of these changes get announced it sounds good and then you you play it out in your mind how it would work and you're like oh it sounds just like what you could do before like we can meet for exercise but also you know that's not really monitored so you can't actually just hang out in a park anyway Thankfully, the broader picture is that the number of cases is continually going down. So, you know, that's a really great thing for everyone for, you know, there's not as many people getting sick and hopefully, um, you know, we can all kind of move towards being able to see each other again and some of those things. Yeah, and that is especially good. But I I was drawn uh, by a fellow 3CR uh, host by Jacob Gretsch online uh, during the week. Uh, He's the host of a Friday rave uh, here on 3CR. And he was uh, pointing out that it is important to keep watching what the government is doing um, under the guise of safety at the moment and the kind of the moving through of the COVID-19 omnibus emergency measures bill, which goes before the upper house uh, this week. You know, it has some pretty amazing provisions in it. It's a 300-page document, so I certainly haven't read it all, and it's all in legalese. From having a brief look, it looks like the the Environmental Protection Act has been unwound until the middle of next year to allow businesses to focus on the clear and present danger of COVID-19. It really just seems like a a blank sheet for them to, you know, store dangerous waste or, you know, not you know, just, they're just trying to, you know, lower costs really is what what I read that as, you know, Mm. by any means necessary. And there are some other things in there too, about new powers for fairly, you know, broadly defined people, uh, authorized offices, enter premises and um, 
and also detain people mm. for extended periods. Yeah, of I was time. talking to Jacob over the weekend, and I think some of the things that he was talking about, where uh, you know they can or they can just make somebody, you know, one person can make that person able to have authority to carry out things like enter people's homes and check to make sure you're complying with the laws. And that person, that authorized person can authorize another person. So it's really, you know, getting rid of that kind of chain of command, which, which I think, you know, does happen a lot of the time in emergency sort of situations where, you know, we saw that with the uh, fires over summer and um, things like that. But it really reminds me of a wild west film where the, you know, bad people have entered town and so the sheriff is deputizing anyone and anyone to be able to catch these you know these wreckers of the town but it i guess that's this is the extent of having those emergency powers in place you know and i, I think that as we do move back into the fire season uh, into potentially more you know actual states of emergency again we have to really be concerned about when any of these things will be wound back because there can be a justification for quite an extended period of time to be utilizing any of these police powers. Yeah. And I think, you know, the extension, I know masks are a fairly minor inconvenience for most people that perhaps get a bit too much um, focus, but it is just interesting that, you know, eradication is fairly unrealistic in the, in the next 12 months or 18 months. You're so right about bushfires and other types of emergency. I think that's a really good point you raised, though, about the attention that things like masks get, because really it's not an inconvenience at all. Um, but yet it is constantly in the media. No one's calling him Dictator Dan because of the police presence. It's because people can't spend 12 hours at, um, you know, shopping centre or, you know, they have to wear a mask when they go to the park. Uh, you know, this not a surprise, I'm sure, to, to us and most listeners, but the issues are being lost and there's no room for the nuance of criticising Daniel Andrews and Victorian government while not becoming either a QAnon conspiracy theorist or a supporter for Michael O'Brien and the Liberal Party. Mm, yeah, there is a, you know, a lack of um, nuance in the political debate at the moment, you know, and perhaps we can blame social media for that. Today, we are talking uh, about very local politics. Uh, we're talking about local council elections and the Victorian Socialist decision to run a number of candidates across a number of municipalities in the upcoming elections, which happen at the end of October. Uh, so stay tuned. We're going to have a few guests on from the Vic Socialists uh, and we're going to find out, you know, why and how and what it could mean. You're listening to Uprise Radio on 3CR. This is Iri Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Yeah. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. You're listening to Uprise Radio on 3CR, and today we're talking about local council elections and the Victorian Socialists' expanded plans. The Youngish Party is running council candidates in five electorates across Melbourne, giving people in Hume, Maribyrnong, Darabin, Moreland, and Melbourne City a chance to put an anti-capitalist presence into their local council machinery. Local councils are often characterised as the petty, grasping cousins of Oz's large political family, filled with puppet candidates driven by developments and single-issue obsessives. Yet the local council also shapes a community's values and can project and protect citizens' aspirations towards economic justice, access to amenities and a vibrant community life. 
More recently, we have seen small communities around the globe activate through councils to provide subsidised clean energy, transport and even broadband. So we're joined today by two Victorian socialist candidates. Liz Walsh is running in Maribyrnong and Daniel Taylor is running in Moreland. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, voting for those who are keen uh, will be done via post and closes on Friday the 23rd of October. So Liz, first of all to you, what can mm -hmm. be achieved through a campaign for local council? Or you know, why did Vic Socialists decide to go down this path? Well, I guess there's a few different ways that you could answer this question. So in one way, uh, it's about building the profile of socialist arguments in society, our answers to the problems that uh, we don't think that we get anywhere by privatising our services, um, by uh, trying to facilitate the interests of developers. Instead, it's got to be ordinary people organising together, putting the needs of the community first, uh, irrespective of profits, irrespective of the interests of big capitalists um, and small capitalists. Uh, so, so in some ways it's trying to build our um, a political presence for socialist politics uh, that centres class and working class interests and is also principled on all the social questions. Um, but also, you know, having uh, some victories would also be great uh, for the Victorian socialists if we could get someone elected in one of the five um, places that we're running. I think that can give people confidence uh, that our arguments have a resonance um, and that's important. And then I also think it's a, that we don't know, but we could help to shake up local politics as well. Uh, and there are concrete things that socialists could do on council to make people's lives better and to give greater confidence to people to organise in the community. Out in Maribyrnong, there's quite loud sort of, um, there's a loud sort of rates payer page that um, really shape political discussion. I think it is important to recognise that they don't really reflect the attitudes of everybody. They're very much cut, cut, cut. Things like climate action and investing in that is a total distraction. The most important thing is essentially like an anti-taxes kind of argument that um, we need to cut the rates and irrespective of the kind of services really that are also wound back. We've been trying to make it clear that, you know, we are with people who are struggling, but we've broken apart, I think, this kind of consensus a bit that we're all, we all agree with each other, rates are bad, uh, and instead made it much more of a left-right divide, I think, in some of those spaces. People who do want to have their council uh, act on climate, that do want their council to provide more services for international students and temporary visa holders that have been basically left to starve by the federal government that do want our local government to look at investing in community housing and, and campaigning for more public housing in our area. So we've been contacted by people both who usually vote Greens or usually vote the Labor Party and have said, you know, I'm really you know, sick to death of the right-wing nature of the Labor Party in this area. I think I'm going to vote for you guys this time around. Or people who campaign for the Greens and have been, you know, appalled by the behaviour of the Green on Council who has... Um, backed up things like the move to sell off Footscray Park to Melbourne Victory, a big corporation, you know, and who voted to privatise aged care in our area. You know, basically has been a sort of a neoliberal green and not a green with social justice at the heart of his politics. I think, Liz, you mentioned the Greens there. And I guess as a position, you know, people would be mostly thinking about who are already on the left that may have voted Greens, people who you know, maybe disenfranchised with the Greens is they may have an anti-capitalist kind of perspective of the world. 
and as I'm sure most people in Victorian socialists do as well. But competing in these kind of elections is, you know, not necessarily an anti-capitalist position in itself. So how do you kind of frame that kind of argument, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really interesting question. And it's one of the motivations for putting together Victorian socialists in the first place was to make an argument that the alternative is on what's put as the left of politics, where it's either Labor or the Greens, that's not adequate. And there, there needs to be an option that rejects capitalism and capitalist values and the capitalist system completely. And when it comes to the local councils and the Greens, I think you can actually see in some ways more clearly than in the federal parliament, how the Greens' commitment to the capitalist system flows through to their politics and pushes them in a more conservative uh, direction. So it, in many cases, it's the Greens on the local councils that are leading the charges for, for privatisation. Uh, in my council uh, in Moreland, where there's a proposal to basically give a rubber stamp approval process to big developers. Um, that's being, in many cases, the, it's the Greens on the council that are, are driving that and are the most forceful advocates of that policy. And they justify it in the name of environmentalism and having greener development and so on. It's all a way to hand over power to big property development. So when it comes down to that local council level, where issues like development, gentrification, privatisation are really sharply put. In some ways, that's where it becomes most clear that the Greens fundamentally side with the existing system and some kind of alternative uh, is needed, even if, you know, in many cases their policies are, are, could be better than Labor's on other questions like, you know, refugee rights and, and so on. So that question of the Greens, whether left-wing politics has to reject the whole system or whether it can accept capitalism and remain on the left, that's actually quite sharply put in a lot of the council elections. And in the council elections, that's where those arguments can be put, I think, very clearly by socialists. And, and that's one of the big advantages of this campaign. I might just add a little bit to that, because um, particularly this is this argument about the role of the Greens on local councils, that it's actually to the right often of what they play at a federal level, uh, is really apparent with the Darabin uh, Council. So in Darabin, the Greens aren't actually a, a minority. They're, they're the, uh, the ones running the council in alliance with uh, a Green allied mayor and um, someone who's backed by the uh, world of property. Uh, and their approach, if you look at any of the, which we've just been doing as part of the campaign, looking through the, both the minutes and, and the video um, streaming of the various council meetings over the last year or so, like it's, it's actually been the Greens who have blocked any kind of um, statement of commitment to uh, retaining public services like the aged care. They did an, inter uh, um, an investigation into the future of aged care services in the area and it was people like Greco Gaetano, who's an independent former Labor Party person and um, another Labor Party councillor who tried to insert in this investigation into the terms of reference, a commitment to opposing privatisation, that whatever the investigation comes up with, we're not gonna be proposing privatisation. So, uh, and that was actually really uh, forcefully blocked um, inserting that commitment by Trent McCarthy, who's the leading uh, Greens person in Darabin and, uh, by the mayor, Susan Rennie, a former Green, now independent. So that, I think it was a little sort of snapshot into, yeah, I guess that kind of why it's so important to build an alternative, not just to Labor, who most people on the left understand, you know, have long uh, been committed to neoliberalism and not to the interests of working class people, but the Greens, that kind of middle class um, 
I guess, social composition of the Greens, how it expresses itself at a local council level. And um, yeah, so it's, it's been, a, um, I think, a good eye opener for us as well, getting a little bit more concrete um, uh, evidence about why we need a socialist alternative to not just Labor, but also the Greens. One of the uh, counter arguments that you're going to come up against in talking about the role that councils can play in uh, combating wage theft or striving for racial justice is that councils should just do bins and rates and parks and that's it. You know, I don't, I don't want my council getting too highfalutin, you know, this always comes up. <laughs> and, and I wonder, you know, what is your answer to that? Like what, what can council do? What does it already do to propagate this system? People have pretty low expectations of their local councillors of playing a role as activists and organisers and advocates. Uh, and that means we have to raise those expectations by presenting a bit of a vision of what's possible. Well, I think about this in the Moreland people, where you know, the southern part of it is Brunswick that goes all up and down Sydney Road, lots of hospitality, lots of young casuals, lots of people having their wages stolen, lots of appalling employment conditions. And if the councillors wanted to, they could use that platform they've got on the council to expose the businesses that are responsible for wage theft and, you know, put them under that kind of a pressure that the council is actually an advocate for your employees. So that means you have to watch out the way you treat them or the council, which, you know, generally is very pro-business, could actually act as an advocate for working class people. And that's just a matter of public advocacy. You don't need a legislative authority to do that you can in that way you can fight against wage theft alongside trade unionists without being able to legislate around it just by acting as an activist uh, and an organizer and that's part of i think the significance of running activists for council and arguing that councillors should play that role um, as well and that can really raise people's expectations not just of what the council can do but of what communities as a whole can do with the support uh, of activists in those kinds of mm. positions and that communities can take responsibility for defending themselves against big business against governments at every level and councillors can just be a part of that so wage theft is a good example of that i think I agree. But there's also concrete things that the council could do. And they are about some of the, you know, the three R's, the, the rates in particular question, because our council out at Maribyrnong, for instance, gave a 50% cut to rates for um, business owners if they were struggling with the COVID crisis. Uh, and then again, 25% um, cut uh, with the next quarter. So a huge cut in their rates without any questions asked about, do you steal your workers' wages? What are the conditions for workers in your workplace. Actually, there can be policies that say you will not be eligible for rate discounts, you won't be eligible for council grants, for fee discounts, um, you won't be eligible for council promotion. We won't put on um, you in our like uh, newsletters promoting local businesses and so on if, you're, if you commit wage theft. There, there are concrete things like that that we could do to really serve both punish businesses that screw over working class people and send a message to working class people in our communities that we're on their side. Uh, that would obviously be hugely controversial to do something like that. The traders associations, small business owners, like they're the people who actually have the personhood in local council politics that are seen to matter. And it's just phenomenal. All of the candidates, including people who are, who are from working class backgrounds, there's this um, quite lovely guy who's running uh, in uh, the Stony Creek Ward in Maribyrnong, a warehouse worker from an African background who, um, you know, he's a working class person, but he doesn't mention once the word 
working class people. You know, it's all about supporting small business owners. Uh, and so I think that that's, it would be quite a challenge to have councillors get in there and say, actually, no, the vast majority of people in our community are not small business owners, business owners full stop. They're working class people, people who sell their labour to a boss to survive. Um, so yeah, I think that that would be a wonderful shakeup if we could pull that off. I think, you know, these are obviously good reasons why people might want to vote for a Victorian socialist uh, candidate. But I, I guess like I'm interested in, and I'm sure, you know, lots of our listeners are, you know, already activists and heavily engaged in the left. And I guess, you know, why, why is Socialist Alternative and other, you know, um, socialists and other people on the left, why invest so much time in any elections, let alone in council elections. I think the things that Daniel mentioned about wage theft and all these kind of things, these things can be done without having to be spending time and money and resources into elections. Why spend so much of this, these resources in elections themselves? Well, from my point of view, um, I think we should do both when we can, and the activism has to come first. So we should run in elections where we think we can add to that activism by participating in the electoral process, but without the activism, it's nothing. And the activism is the core of it. It's the, the most important thing for anyone on the left to do is to be organising trade union campaigns, protest campaigns, organising people in the real world to get active in the here and now and, and not rely on elected officials to act for them. What elections just add to that is a different forum to make those arguments in and a different way to disrupt you know, business as usual and to expose how people that are involved in mainstream politics are complicit in many of the things that you're against. And that just adds depth to the activist campaigns, I think. So I, I, to be really blunt about it, I would be against participating in elections if it was at the expense of activism. And I also think it's a way to just reach a different audience as well. So... My big regret about this campaign is that we can't door knock the way we did in the last two campaigns because that was awesome. You could go out to all these working class neighbourhoods, people that wouldn't have had a socialist argument put to them face to face for decades or ever if they're younger and talk to them about what it means to reject mainstream politics and to support left-wing progressive activism and why that is important to, to working class people. Also, we don't see it as counterposed to building a larger revolutionary, explicitly revolutionary left. So both Daniel and I are members of Socialist Alternative and we um, both want to build Victorian socialists in its own right as a electoral vehicle for presenting socialist candidates uh, to many hundreds of thousands of people uh, and to activate and organise uh, people on the broad left in a kind of united way, but also we want to win people to an explicitly, not just anti-capitalist, but um, revolutionary perspective too, that puts the elections in its proper place, that it's, uh, you know, it can be an organising tool, it can be something that gives socialists a platform, there are some concrete things you can do, but generally, if you want to see radical social change, then you need to uh, build powerful mass movements with working class action at its core. Uh, and I think like the, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, in the US, I think has been quite an important moment, I think for the left to really see uh, how critical and how quickly political discussion actually can uh, shift to the left, how people's ideas can change with, with mass rebellious action um, that isn't just tied to, you know, who you're getting the vote out for. So we definitely want to put it in its proper place. I think, I mean, it represents a really sizable shift from socialist alternative position in the past, um, 
critiquing other, you know, socialist alliance and other groups, socialist party who competed, um, you know, in elections and, you know, often to the detriment of their own activism. I guess my question further then is like, how do you measure the tangible impact of these kind of things? You know, it's all well and good to say, and I think you spoke about the kind of candidates and things that they might do, but I think there's a broader impact as well, you know, I think activist burnout is really important to focus on as well. Like, you know, how many campaigns can people can't be involved in, you know, if we could campaign, campaigning, door knocking and everything for Vic Socialists, and then they're also, you know, doing that for Black Lives Matter, for refugee campaigns. You know, people have their work and family and study commitments and things as well. So priorities shift of what people can do. So I think at some point you need to see the tangible impacts and ha has there been discussions about what that would look like and how to measure those kind of things? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, we're always <laughs> discussing, you know, like the point of it all and, you know, the balance of where you put your resources and time and effort and are there competing things? Um, for instance, we discussed at the start of the year, like, hopefully there's another blockade IMARC and the council elections are at the same time as blockade IMARC and so, that would uh, have been more of a priority for us than the council stuff. So I would have had to deprioritize the council work and, you know, done a little bit and, you know, probably got some letterboxing done, but maybe not everything we could do. Uh, so, so yeah, you have to weigh them up. I mean, we have grown as a socialist organization, as a, as a socialist alternative through the VS work as well. So we've, we have recruited people. So that's, and people we, we would not have probably met if it hadn't been for the VS work. Um, and yeah, and it's just like, it's also making our members more well-rounded as well, like having conversations outside of the university bubble to some extent, you know, getting out there and getting um, the skills to be able to connect with um, and win over different uh, sections of society. society. I mean, that sounds a bit grand, like, you know, individuals, winning over individuals. Uh, and yeah, like we've got to be conscious of, we don't want to just be drawn into election after election if we think that there's no actual gain uh, for the uh, far left. So I guess, yeah, like one of the things for us is that we decided to embark on this in part because we've, as a socialist alternative, we've grown um, and been able to, we, we assess that we could both do this and in particular back the 2018 campaign, as well as um, continue the other work that we do. So in other states, we're not proposing the same kind of electoral turn or anything like that. There's no principle of like elections are the thing. It's more of an assessment of where we're at as an organisation in Melbourne, having grown to, you know, three, 400 people, we think we can both, you know, do something on in the electoral field as well as our union and student work and, and things like that. Yeah, and currently, so far, out of the, the three Victorian Socialist election campaigns, every single one that's happened has at the end of it has had the effect of strengthening the overall forces of the, the revolutionary left and the left. Like there's dozens of people now getting involved in this council campaign and it's a, it's a local election campaign. So it's not usually the kind of thing that excites radicals, but there are a bunch of people getting involved in it and it's the first bit of socialist activism that they've done, which is pretty cool. Um, my personal position is I reckon Victorian socialists has got a shot at getting a seat in the state parliament in the next election and I, I reckon that's a, a plausible thing and we should keep trying to build up towards that I think that would be a really right. big so step you forward. mean you mean the upper house seat in not the upper the, house that's right no local yeah. under, <laughs> legislature in the upper house. Yeah. as long as you get I, your I, steals done 
um, yeah, if the stars align. Um, I reckon, and that would be a really big step forward. James mentioned there, like how you measure the outcomes of these decisions that you're making as the organisation grows and as more and more people, I think, for a range of reasons, are looking for viable alternatives uh, to the status quo. Um, so I do wonder... What does success look like for VS in these elections? Like, do you have a certain amount of people that you think you're going you're gonna to grow by? Do you, do you expect to get a certain percentage of the vote? Like, what, how will you know that this has been a, a win for you guys? Good question. Um, well, I mean, we hope to come away with a local councillor somewhere. Yeah, if we uh, win. That's the most obvious way you know you've got to win, <laughs> if you win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, contest, that would be great. Um, I mean, I think given the, the lockdown and so on, it's probably a pretty tall order to actually win now. Um, that's made our goal harder. That said, yeah, there have been, surprisingly, even in lockdown, there's just been new people getting involved and who are also open to discussing with us Marxist politics. Aren't just like, I'm only interested in, you know, bread and butter and I just hate the major party, so I'm helping you guys out. There's a few people like that who, you know, so older disillusioned types, but are not so interested in having the ideological discussions, but heaps of young people also getting involved um, and we want to take them somewhere we don't just want them to be like okay that's enough I've done my bit of activism which is letterboxing but yeah um, build on that and challenge them to go further um, we hope I think we want to get a decent vote so we've gotten four percent you know in in the federal elections uh, in all of the three wards that we stood and also over four percent in the whole of the northern metro uh, for the 2018 campaign to win in a council election you've got to get more closer to like 10, 12% in, um, in the ward and then some uh, good preference flows as well. Uh, so, you know, if we could get somewhere, you know, between 8 to 10%, that would be, I think, a real victory. Uh, but, yeah, I guess the other thing is do we meet young left-wing people? And we've met quite a lot of those people and not all of them just for socialist alternative, but, like, who are interested in the VS project more generally and, that's good too. So, yeah, that can be a basis on which to push the campaigning forward. Uh, well, I want to thank you both. We're out of time, um, but thanks heaps for joining us today and good luck in the upcoming elections and all the other activism that you're involved in. Uh, thanks heaps for stopping by Uprise Radio. Thanks so thank much, guys. You. Yeah, enjoy that. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.